If we can stress ourselves out so much that we lose our hair or that we give ourselves autoimmune conditions and health problems, then why isn't the opposite of that true? That we can find a way to clear out that stress or clear out that emotion and heal our bodies in some ways. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks Cut from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Matt Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Matt Labrie here, your host of the top 1% globally ranked podcast, Decoding Success. And as much as I want to kick this off with gratitude and say thank you for showing up here today, I also feel obligated to give you your kudos and your flowers for doing the work. Oftentimes when we focus on what is easy and do what is easy, life gets harder. But when we focus on what is hard and do what is hard, life gets easier. And that is a beautiful reminder from our guest that is joining us today, our friend John Paul Crimi who is joining us in just a few moments. I'll give him a proper intro then, but I want to talk about what we're diving into in this episode. You see it in the title. We're talking about breathwork, but there's a million and one modalities of breathwork. To that point, JP has his own modality and his own approach to this modality, which helps individuals just like you and myself and everyone else that's listening to this heal and shift. So for example, if you've ever experienced anxiety, depression, anger, rage, upset, feeling down, whatever it may be, and I guarantee you felt at least some of that because we're human, and to expect that we're going to be happy 24-7 is absolutely blasphemous to say the least. We experience a wide range of emotions. That's normal. It's natural. We're human. But how do we shift out of them and not stay stuck in them? Breathwork is the answer. In fact, we're going to be learning today how to heal and shift our life due to breathwork. Furthermore, how do we heal our trauma from breathwork? I was very curious about that, and I said to myself, how does the breath know what to target? That I was mistreated or this, that, the other, right? How does our breath know how to do that? And we got the answer in this episode. We're going to be talking about surrendering, because when you're doing breathwork, this specifically, it's going to get a little uncomfortable. You might freak yourself out a little bit, You're going to feel physical sensations. The mind is going to be telling you to stop. There's going to be emotions bubbling up, potentially, and it gets a little uncomfortable. How do we surrender and let it happen? Lastly, I've already talked about this a little bit. One of my favorite aspects of this episode is talking about doing the hard things, the things we don't want to do, but we know we need to do them. And when we do them, it leads to growth. It leads to transformation. It leads to shifts in our life. There's so much jam-packed in here. I could rant for days, but let me give an intro to our friend, John Paul Crimi, who is joining us today, one of the most sought-after celebrity trainers and sober coaches in the country. What makes JP stand apart is his East Coast no-nonsense approach. He's appeared on Good Morning America, he's been featured in the Huffington Post, The Hollywood Reporter, and so many more places. Now, JP believes there's no one who can't benefit from the practice of breathwork, and he's had Olympians, Oscar, Emmy, and Grammy winners to prove it. Witnessing people visibly transform often after just one breathwork session is exactly why he greets each day excited, and you can hear his energy in this episode. Just because he wants to see people turn into their most authentic selves, 
He's made it his life work to reach as many people as possible, and that's exactly what he's doing here today. So without further ado, we bring to you our friend, John Paul Crimi. John Paul, welcome to Decoding Success. Your work is incredible to say the absolute least. I find myself saying that rather often with all of the guests that we bring on the show, but it's true. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking to you. So I appreciate what you're doing, what you're putting out into the world, and thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on here today. I have to ask you, how are you doing? I mean, I failed to ask that for, I want to say, almost three years of this podcast, so I'm trying to be better. How are you doing? What's going on in the life of John Paul? I'm doing awesome, man. It's finally like after a couple of years of only being able to teach online back Mm. in person, you know, doing sold out in-person classes, sold out in-person trainings, looking at setting up a retreat or two, you know, so I'm excited to be back in person connecting with humans. And at the same time, I'm glad that we still have this element that we can connect online. So then I can like talk to you and I have a class on Sundays, which you did, where I get people from all over the world. And before the shutdown, I couldn't get people into that class class to save my life. And so now I have both worlds, which is ideal. So I guess that's the good that came out of everything for me. So I'm, I'm yeah. doing awesome. It's a long Did answer you... to your question. <laughs> no, I mean, we're, we're here to chat. We're here to chat. No long, no short answers, whatever it is, it is. But the universe is always working for us, as it seems with that response. So mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that. I'm just curious in your line of work. Are there any differences between doing breath work in person and virtual? That's a great question. Yes, there's there's a lot of differences and they both have their benefits and drawbacks. And so a lot of people think that only in person is going to be the best, right? Like that's just what your mind for most people their mind tells them in person's the way to go. But the benefits of in person are that you know you have all these people around you breathing, so that's kind of motivating for some people. That's inspiring. There's a little like peer pressure of breathing. And then we have the gongs at the in person, so when we do the yell, in the last 4 minutes of the class we're playing the gongs and the vibration goes through people, which is really trippy thing. And then when you yell, you yell into the gongs, which is wild. And then, you know, I get to hug people afterwards. I get to connect with people. I get to hear the stories and, you know, and see the emotions. And it's a more emotional class, if you can believe that, because I'm emotional online too, for me in person. And so I love that. But then online, the benefits online are some people don't want people around them when they're having a big emotional release. Some people are more comfortable with nobody else around them, especially kind of guys because of the way we're brought up, some of us. And so to be in your own space, in your own room is a lot safer for some people and they can kind of let go much easier in their own space at home. And then you don't have to get in your car and drive afterwards. And then if you come to the live class, I can see people's names in the boxes and I'll call them out. I'll be like, Matt, you got to go a little deeper here and let go. And so I can call you out by name in the live class online. And there's also a replay online. So you can do it again. Or if you missed the Sunday class, you can do the replay. So there's a lot of benefits to online too. And I tried to convince people for years to online to do it and people didn't believe me. And then the shutdown happened and they had no choice. And they were like, oh, online is amazing in a whole different way than in person, right? So they're both great. They both have a different energy and they both work really well. I think the most common thing is people are shocked at how incredible online can be, how powerful the release and the, the class and the whole experience can be online. You just, you just don't realize it until you do it. You have to do it to find out. Yeah, I get that. I'm curious, where do you get your energy from? Because when I took the class, I mean, your energy is next level, but not even just your energy. Furthermore, your down to earth approach. Right. And I I think that was what I appreciated outside of the actual work that was being done was the fact that I felt like I was with a human versus with, you know, some spiritual, mystical, you know, wizard. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was really cool. Yeah, I, you know, I I feel like I hear this 
a, a big deal, uh, quite a bit. You know, when I first started doing breathwork, everyone was like a woo-woo kind of new agey spiritual guru. And I was like, oh, come on, like it, did, it just didn't resonate with me and I didn't identify with it and it wasn't my style. And I was like, I'm going to be who I really am. And sometimes that's a guy that's annoyed, that's irritated that I just had to take, you know, three of the worst freeways in the country to get to do a class. And I'd go in and I'd be like, I almost just choke somebody out in the parking lot over a parking space. And then people weren't sitting down and I was sit your ass down. I'm going to put gratitude and love in your heart, you know? And they're like, who's this guy? Because every other teacher at the studio or whatever is walking in and going, hey, everyone. I know Mercury is right. in retrograde right now. And you're, you know, and I'm like, first of all, whose voice is that you're using? Second of all, you know, you're not like an enlightened guru. So my thing is, is like, I'm just like everybody else. You know, I have good days. I have bad days. I have good moments. I have bad moments. And this breath work thing helps me. It, that's it. It's just that simple. And sometimes I'll get irritated or annoyed or I'll be an asshole and people will be like, I thought you were like the breathwork guy. I'm like, yeah, you should see what I'm like without breathwork. It's 10 times worse. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't mean, just because I teach this thing and I have all these tools that I use that are amazing that help me be a better person doesn't mean I'm never going to get angry. I'm never going to get annoyed. I mean, look at the world we're living in today. Of course, you're going to get angry. Of course, you're going to get annoyed. But what are you going to do about it is the question. So what's amazing about breathwork for me is that it's a tool that you can lay down and you can breathe in the middle of your afternoon and reset your whole day and change the whole trajectory of your day. Right. Like I know the big thing in the spiritual woo -woo world now is ayahuasca and all these kind of plant medicines. I don't have any experience with that. It's not my thing. I don't have anything against it. No judgment. But like if I'm having a bad Tuesday afternoon, I can't go take some ayahuasca or microdose. I got kids and wife and all this stuff going on, but I can lay down and breathe on my carpet for 30 minutes and I come up and I'm a different guy and my wife's and then I come down and I'm like, I'm sorry I said that. Like I have a shirt that says, I'm sorry for what I said before breathwork. Because what it always <laughs> does is it just clears out everything I was angry about, everything I was sad about or anxiety, depression, whatever. And it, it centers me right back into what's important in my life, what really matters in my life today. And I go, all oh, that shit is not important. And it usually, I like whatever I was upset about doesn't really even matter after that. And I just don't know anything else out there that can do that for me. Where do I get my energy from? I do fasting. I drink a lot of coffee. I do a lot of <laughs> breath work. I'm excited for what, like for this podcast, I'm excited for my life. You know, I, mm. it was a long time. I lived a long time in the opposite of that in like dread and sadness and depression and anxiety. And I don't have that stuff today. Every once in a while, it creeps back in, but I have all these different tools that I use to, to blow it out and get right back to where I want to be, which is living my life in excitement and gratitude and love. And so I don't, you know, like there's this great speaker, Eric Thomas is like, I don't need an alarm clock in the morning to get out of bed. Like I just, I get out of bed. I get out of bed at like 4 a.m. and I'm excited to go into my day because I'm going to talk to people like you. I'm going to do great things. And even like when I don't have great things, it's still like I feel lucky and blessed that I get to have the life that I have today because it could have so easily gone the other way. You know, I was on a, a bad path going the wrong way in the wrong direction. And a lot of the people that I grew up with and hung around with are either dead or in jail. So, you know, to where I am today is pretty miraculous. Well, I have to challenge that thought, right? And I'm playing devil's advocate here a little bit. You mentioned that you're on a you were on a bad path, but I mean, that was the path you had to get on or be on to be where you're at now. Is that not true? Sure. I mean, yes and no. I mean, at some point you make a decision to get off it or you don't, right? There's right. The, the choices we make determine our future, right? 
And so the first choice was like, okay, I need to get out of Boston and go to Los Angeles. That was this massive crossroads. Then the next choice was, okay, I need to stop doing drugs and alcohol and clean up my life. Another massive crossroads. And then there was a thing where I, you know, someone offered me a breathwork session with a breathwork person. And I was like, I thought it was stupid. And I went and did it and I had this big experience. It's different than the breathwork I teach. And then a couple people who didn't know each other said to me, you need to go try breathwork. And I was like, it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm going to go lay in a room and breathe with other people. It's so dumb. But I'm smart enough to know that if two or more people say the same thing to me, or if something I'm just like, I don't want to do that, let me go do it anyways. Like that's the, for me, that's the changing factor. It's like contrary action, right? I don't want to go do that. Let's go, right? <laughs> and yeah. when I do what I want to do, which is lay in bed, eat ice cream, watch Netflix, nothing changes. But when I go do some weird breathwork class that I don't feel like doing, and then I have this massive life-changing experience, I mean, it just changes the course of my life. Doing things I don't want to do is how I become a better human. That's, it's that simple. It's the contrary action to what I want to do. You know, I'm mad at my wife for something she said or something, whatever, an argument. You know what? Let me go get her flowers. Let me take the opposite action of what I want to do, right? What I want to do is get in the car and disappear. I don't know, but <laughs> I'm kidding. But I go and I get flowers and you know what? My actions show that I'm a decent human being, not what goes on in my head. Cause what goes on in my head isn't always a great story. But that's not as important as what I do, the actions I take. Absolutely. Now, where did the shift happen, per se, when you were looking to move out of Boston or, you know, stop taking drugs? This, that, like, what was it that came over you, if anything, as I realize how wrinkled my shirt is here? But I'm curious, where was that shift? And was it an experience? Was it a person? Was it just a combination of things? It's a great question. You know, from answering this question, from thinking about it just now, it's like it's, it was an experience. And then I, and now I realize that it's almost always an experience that creates a shift. And then we have an experience and then it's like, what are you going to do with it after? So I grew up in Boston. I was there my whole life and I had never really left. I mean, I'd done some trips to Canada with my friends partying in a road trip. But then I went to Hawaii with a girlfriend of mine and I had never really been anywhere like that. And it was just it was magnificent. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. And I went, what am I doing? Like, I'm going to I don't want to live and die my entire life in the same place. And I had this dream of being an actor. So when I got back from Hawaii, I was like, I'm moving to California, I'm moving to Los Angeles. And I quit mm -hmm. my job and I moved. And so it was that experience of going to Hawaii, right? It was that experience of going to a breathwork class and doing something different that made me go, oh, okay, there's something, there's something else here. It opened up my mind. I have to have an experience to open up my mind a lot of the time. It was an experience of going to a recovery meeting, a 12-step recovery meeting, and hearing other guys in the room my age saying things that I had always felt and I thought I was alone with. And I was like, oh my God, there's other people just like me that struggle with this, just like me in the same way. Oh my, like this is the solution for me. This could actually change my life. This could actually help me. So it was that experience of walking into that meeting, even though I didn't want to, even though I thought my preconceived notion was like, these guys are all going to be losers. And they were actually incredible guys who were successful and, and living incredible, beautiful lives with integrity and just helping people. And so it was the experience of helping other people that really shifted my life. That was probably one of the biggest game changers. The first I did big Brothers of America, the mentor program. And yep. that was that was incredible. And then I started helping other guys in recovery and helping people get sober and doing all that stuff. And that was incredible to, to be a part of someone's life change. I mean, you could see it right in front of your eyes. And now my life is filled with helping other people. I have this 
you know, thing where I, I realized as long as I help other people at the end of my life, my life will have been worthwhile. Right. Amen. And so I've helped yeah. thousands of people change their lives. Does that mean I'm a saint or a guru? No, absolutely not. I'm still an asshole. People <laughs> still fucking piss me off sometimes. You know, people do annoying shit, you know, but for the most part, I'm a pretty good guy. It was the experience I had. I, I got to meet Tony Robbins and he was really nice and he invited me to a seminar and it was life changing. It was absolutely life changing. And that we created a huge shift in me. So experiences are huge. I tell people who do my breath work, I'm like, you know, you don't know if you want to be a teacher or not, but if you want to dive deeper, come into my breath work training and it's four days of doing this incredible work with the breath work. So it's not just breath work. It's like we do these transformational exercises, combine them with breath work. And I have you doing all this stuff, really moving people out of their comfort zone. You're going to grow whether or not you ever teach breath work or not doesn't matter. You're going to have this experience and everyone who does it goes, this is the best thing I've ever done for myself. This is the most incredible like shift I've ever created in myself in four days. I also have it online. I have the teacher trainings online and people do that as well. And I see people, I did a student of mine. I did his class online recently and that was incredible. He took the online training that I have. He's in London and he's great. I see his social media. And I was like, he was doing a class and I thought I'm going to do his class. And it was such a huge shift for me. I had such a beautiful breathwork experience. And I was like, wow, this is full circle. This is a guy that learned from me. Now he's helping me. And I was like, that's amazing. That's like, powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It was beautiful. It was, it was beautiful. And I was like, wow. Like I joke with my students. I'm like, I'm creating a pyramid scheme for good. Like I, you know, because <laughs> I, I can only help so many people, but I can create teachers who can go out there and help other people. And then I get to see that work. And then it's like a ripple effect on the planet. And then I know at the end of my life that I had, my life was like, had some meaning, had some purpose, had some focus. Because I tell people, like, I don't know where we got this lie in society that you're supposed to be happy all the time. If I'm not happy all the time, then something's wrong. Like, get me some medication, right? 70% of people out there are on a medication and 40% are on two, right? So, and I don't know if that's necessarily psych meds, but it could be any kind of medication. But my point is, is that if I'm not happy, something's wrong. And that's just not the way it is. You're not going to be happy all the time. You're not supposed to be happy all the time. It's an emotion that comes and goes. But if I have fulfillment in my life, if I have purpose in my life, if I have meaning in my life, then that's going to sustain me through the times that I'm not happy right? Like, okay, I'm having a tough day. I'm down today or whatever. Something's wrong. Let me focus on my purpose. Let me get back into my purpose and do that. And yeah. that shifts it for me every time. Like I have an experience teaching the class now that's as powerful as the breath work. I go through the whole gamut of emotions teaching the class. Like I'll be annoyed when people can't get in the Zoom and they're mad at me, you know, because they can't figure out their Zoom or they didn't update their Zoom and they're emailing me like pissed off at me about it. And so I'm annoyed at the beginning of class. And then people don't, you know, do the cameras right or whatever it is people do, right? And then I start doing my thing where I set up the class and I see people breathing and I'm coaching them I'm like, lay still and breathe, stop moving around, stop, you know? And then we do the moments in the class and the, the yell and it's like, and I go through this whole experience myself and by the end I feel filled with gratitude and love, just like mm -hmm. everyone else. It's like a whole thing, teaching the class, it's wild. That's a beautiful thing, absolutely. I'm curious, when you did the Tony event, did you walk on fire? Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool, right? I did. I did walk on fire. I got a little bit out of state because the fire walk was too far from the stadium and I was kind of talking to somebody. And so when I and I wasn't taking it too serious because I just seen Oprah Winfrey do it on TV. So I was like, ah, and I burned my foot. I got they call a hot spot. You know, it wasn't oh, a big shit. deal. It's just a blister. But yeah, it's it's important. 
in hindsight to like stay in the state that Tony gets you into to do the firewalk. So there was, a, there was a nice lesson in there for me of like, you know, you got to take things seriously, you know, stay in that state, be prepared. Yeah, absolutely, I learned a yeah. lot from Tony. You know, I did UPW and then I did Date with Destiny and I did his business mastery. And so I'm a huge Tony fan. I'm a huge Tony supporter. He changed my life. And so, you know, I can't say enough good things about him. And and then what it happened is right after I did the first Tony seminar, I found breathwork and I was like, OK, this is what I'm meant to do, because when I found breathwork, it wasn't the way I teach the class. It was, you know, terrible music to me and weird new agey. And they didn't really explain it very well what was going to happen. And they didn't do any moments at the end like I do. And they didn't do any of that stuff. And so I but the technique was amazing. Right. And I felt amazing after. And so I was doing it in classes and on my own. And I went, why isn't there 300 people in the room? Right. Like, this is amazing. And then I had a realization like, oh, it's weird. Like if somebody taught it like me, like if somebody taught it like Tony Robbins style or East Coast style with a little edge, with a little funniness, with a like, yeah, I know this is weird. I know you think this is stupid, but do it anyways and tell me I'm wrong. Right. Then they'd have hundreds of people in the room. And that's I've had hundreds and hundreds of people in the room. I've had 500 people in the room. So I was right. I did. I, you know, I changed the music. I added the moments in the end because I want people to leave, you know, in gratitude and love. So I took the technique and reshaped a whole different class around it. So this is kind of my method of doing it, my style of doing it. And when I teach my students, I teach them my style of doing it. I give them a script to read for the beginning of class to get everybody set up properly. I give them the heart moments. They can use my playlist. I, I set it all up for them and they can follow that formula. And then when they feel ready, they can start to find their own voice. You know, maybe they want to say this. Maybe this doesn't resonate with for them like it does for me. Like you don't want to be a carbon copy of somebody else. You want to find your authentic voice, your authentic style. So but you want to do it good from the beginning. But the crazy thing is about breathwork is you can be a terrible teacher and it's still an incredible experience. Like I've taken classes from teachers that didn't explain things properly at the beginning, that didn't guide well, the music was awful. And yet I still had an incredible experience because I laid there and I did the breathwork. So as long as you do the technique, you're going to have a big experience regardless of the teacher. You know, I've had that a lot. But if you're a great teacher on top of it, it's a game changer for people. And if you can change people, if you can shift people, if you can cause them to get them to lose their anxiety, depression, their anger and all this and clear all that out in one hour, you're going to you're going to have a full room. You're going to have a successful, you know, practice or business, whatever you want to call it, because there's so many things out there. People say it's a game changer, but it's not. And especially in an hour. Like where you can go to a class on Zoom in an hour and have that big of a shift. What else have you done that's been that big of a shift in an hour on Zoom? Not many things, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I definitely get it. And you're, as mentioned, your method is different. So what I'm generally used to when I think of breath work, I think of like four, seven, eight breathing and patterns of that nature. But your method, you know, breathing through the mouth, into the diaphragm, into the chest, and then out, very powerful. Where did you discover that? Like, why did that become what you teach? That's a great question. So let me back up a little bit. Breath work is an umbrella term, right? And so sure. this confuses a lot of people. It's like saying fitness. I do fitness for a living. And you're like, well, okay, what do you do? Do you do CrossFit? Do you do Peloton yoga? Like, what do you do? Right? So breath work can mean a lot of different things. It can mean, like you said, box breathing. It can be Kundalini yoga. It can be this. It can be, 
you know, a lot of Wim Hof is really popular right now. Yeah. So my style is not Wim Hof. It's not Kundalini. It's this specific technique. It's called circular breathing or conscious connected breathing. And what it is, it's two breaths in, one breath out, in and out through the mouth. Don't do it while driving. If you're listening to the podcast driving, because you'll get very dizzy and you can get in a car accident. Don't do it in the bathtub or on a float in a pool. So don't do it in driving or on the water. Okay, so let me just put that out there. So what it is, is you lay down flat and you breathe in this way. It's kind of a workout. So it's misleading to people. They think it's going to be this relaxing meditation thing. And it's not that at all. And you breathe in this way pretty intensely for about 28 to 30 minutes is how I usually do a class. And it's two breaths in, one breath out, in and out through the mouth. And some people out there listening to this who have read something like James Nestor's book, Breathe, or have done some research on breath work, would go, oh my God, that's terrible. You're never supposed to breathe through the mouth. You're always supposed to breathe through the nose. Breathing through the mouth is the worst thing you can do. No, it's not. It's ideally you want to be breathing through the nose 98% of the time, right? But this technique, first of all, we wouldn't be able to breathe through our mouths if we, you know, wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to do it if it wasn't necessary once in a while. So it's mm-hmm. necessary when you start to in- exercise intensely, right? We start breathing through the mouth. It's necessary if your nose gets stuffed up, you start breathing through the mouth. And this technique is very specific because you can take in more oxygen, but also my personal belief is that all the trauma that we have in our life and all the stuff and the anxiety and the anger is stored in our sympathetic nervous system. And when we breathe through our mouth, we're breathing into the sympathetic nervous system. When we breathe through our nose, we're breathing through the parasympathetic. So when we lay down and we intentionally breathe into our sympathetic nervous system with the intention of clearing out the stuck trauma, the stuck depression and anxiety, something incredible happened. And I say this in my classes, I say, listen, you thought you were screwed up because of your parents and you were right. It is their fault. Trauma is passed on through the DNA, right? And so science has proven that trauma is passed on through the DNA, but it's not just your parents' fault. It's their parents' fault and their parents' fault. So it's passed on through the DNA to us. So you don't, you might be out there and you might be like, I don't know why I'm so messed up, right? I don't know. I had an all right childhood or whatever. I don't know why I have depression or anxiety or all this stuff. It could be generational trauma that's been passed on to you. And I've seen generational trauma get cleared through this style of breath work. It's incredible. So when we breathe through our mouth, we're breathing intentionally into our sympathetic nervous system, trying to clear out that trauma. Or, you know, they say the issues are in the tissues. It's stuck in our body. It happens during fight or flight or freeze is another one. So that's why we're doing it that way. That's why I use this technique. Now, I've studied breath work for over a decade, and I know all these techniques. I know every technique out there far as I know. And I focus on this one. I focus on this one because it gives massive results in the shortest amount of time. And the results are immediate and they're undeniable, right? They just, they're undeniable. So why would I go, okay, let's do some box breathing. Now, box breathing's great. You know, there's a technique that I love that's a simple in through the nose, out through the mouth. And I use that before I speak in front of huge groups or if I'm in the car and I'm irritated, or if my, I'm going to say something stupid to my wife, she starts laughing when she hears me breathing <laughs> like that. I use that technique. It's a great technique, but like, I'm not going to teach that to a room of 500 people. I want to give these 500 people this incredible experience that they're like, afterwards, they're like, I've never experienced anything like that. And I hear these crazy, wild stories afterwards. Like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Why would I want to do anything else? Like, until I find something better, that's what I'm doing. So you already beat me to my next question to an extent. I want to see if we can go a little bit deeper here. As I was going through the breathwork session, I said to myself, how does the breath know to clear out trauma? And you kind of alluded to it, the fact that, you know, we're tapping into the nervous, the nervous system. But I'm curious, can we go a little bit deeper on that? 
Yeah, it, it is a great, it's an interesting point because, you know, sometimes if you're exercising intensely, running or boxing, whatever, you'll start breathing through your mouth, but you're not clearing out trauma when you're breathing into that sympathetic nervous system because you're busy doing something, you're boxing, you're running, whatever. Mm. When we lay flat, we're intentionally breathing into that nervous system and sympathetic nervous system in that way with the intention of clearing this stuff out. So the body and the mind and the intention is very powerful. You know, I joke with people, I say like, if you don't think your emotions can affect your health, then go find my eyebrows because they're mm. gone and my eyebrows are gone, I have alopecia. What is alopecia? Alopecia is an autoimmune disorder that's caused, they think, by sudden trauma or stress. So that's what causes sudden trauma or stress, your emotions. Right. So my body had a physical reaction to something emotional in my body, right? And I don't think people doubt at this point in the world that like stress, anxiety can bring on heart problems and cancer and all different kinds of things, right? So if that's true, if we can stress ourselves out so much that we lose our hair or that we give ourselves autoimmune conditions and health problems, then why isn't the opposite of that true? That mm. we can find a way to clear out that stress or clear out that emotion and heal our bodies in some ways. My hair is never coming back. That's just the way it is. I'm fine with that. I've made my peace with that. I'm comfortable in my skin today more than I ever have been. But my point is, is that you know, there, what we set our intention to is very powerful. And what we focus on is very powerful. It's like, um, I think I learned this from Tony Robbins, the particulator activating system, right? Yep. It's like this thing in our brain that when you go and buy that like certain car, right? Now you see that car everywhere. You see that car. So your brain will focus on certain things. Like it's just whatever it focuses on. So if we focus on healing our body, if we focus on taking care of our body and clearing out our trauma, clearing out our stress, that's really powerful. Mm. I love that. Now, in the beginning of the breath work, you mentioned setting the intention. So if I walk in there and I say my intention is to work on this specific trauma, does the breath connect to that as well? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes we set an intention and then all this stuff comes up and comes out that has nothing to do with our intention, or we mm. think it has nothing to do with the intention. The breath knows better than we do. It's wild. Like it, it actually will go like, oh, I'm going to lay down and breathe and focus on this. And then something else comes up. Like, I got to focus on my business. And then I'll breathe and it'll be like, no, no, go help this person. And that's what comes up for me. And then I go and I help that person. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's what I actually needed. I think I need this. And I actually need this other thing over here. So sometimes it's very direct and sometimes it's not. It sounds like the breath is bringing out intuition in those instances. 100%. Most of us are walking around in our heads all day long, up in yeah. our heads, up in our thoughts. We're so, you know, analytical up in our heads all day long, and we're not in our hearts. You know, the heart is an operating system just like the brain, and it can tell you so much. And your intuition is this other operating system down here. I mean, animals, we know that like when an earthquake is coming or a tsunami is coming, that the birds and the animals, they all know they start scattering, right? That's their intuition. They sense that. Well, we're, we're an animal too. We have an intuition. We have a gut feeling. How many times have you had a gut feeling? Gut feeling. That's where your intuition lives, right here in the gut. How many times have you had that gut feeling about something or someone and you didn't listen to it and then you're like, oh, I knew it. It turned out to be true. Right. So what this kind of does is it will turn off that part of your head and tune you into your gut, into your intuition and your heart where all the really clear answers are for you because your head will be like a lawyer arguing both sides of the case. I cannot tell you how many times I've had a client come in and I go, okay, where are you stuck right now? And they go, 
well, I'm in this relationship. And I go, okay, here we go. Five minutes. Tell me the thing in five minutes. And they go, well, he's really great like this, but he, and he does this and he does this. And then the other side of it is he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. And I go, okay, let's just set the intention to breathe and see what is there for you mm. about the clarity. And they sit up and they go, this is not the right relationship. Because what they did was they turned off the two lawyers arguing in their head about the two sides of the case and they tuned into their heart and their heart said, this isn't right for me. And then sometimes what will happen is a couple days later, the head will turn back on. I mean, it turns back on before that, but, and they start to argue again. They start to go, I don't want to get back on Bumble or Tinder or the dating apps. And they start to build the case again to stay in this relationship. And so that's fear. That's fear of being alone. Yeah. What I've seen a ton is that people are in relationships that aren't right for them and they come and they breathe and they they either put down the law, they lay down the law in the relationship or they leave the relationship. The truth is, is that the only reason we ever let anyone treat us poorly is because we feel like we deserve it on some level, mm. unconsciously yeah. or consciously. And so once you start doing this kind of work on yourself, once you start taking care of yourself in this way, you don't feel that way anymore. You're like, I deserve better than this. And relationships end pretty quickly if you're not being treated properly. So I don't know if I answered that question fully. No, but you did. You did. Absolutely. A hundred percent. It leads me to ask what happens in the body while doing your method of breath work? Like what is actually happening? So for instance, I've done Wim Hof in the past and I love it. And I do see similarities in regards to how I felt in regards to like the tingles, which I mean, they freak me out sometimes. I'm not going to lie. I have some resistance there, but I'm curious, like what's happening physiologically in our systems? Sure. So what we're doing is we're oxygenating the body in a way yeah. that's pretty intense. And some of what's happening is we're actually changing the alkalinity in our blood with the, you know, raising the CO2 and the, or we're throwing off CO2 rather and changing the blood alkalinity. And that's can be trippy. That's where the tingling can come. Your hands can clamp mm. up like this. It freaks a lot of people out like that. And then there's some other stuff that's happening that's maybe a little more mystical or magical or the science just hasn't studied it enough. And I think they are starting to study it. I hope they do. You know, I'm more of the background of that. Like when I first found breath work, I was a trainer. I was a like personal trainer in Los Angeles. I trained a bunch of celebrities and I did it. And I was like, what's the science behind this? Like, and I couldn't find anything. Like, why do your hands clamp up like that? What's happening? And all the teachers I asked were like, oh, you're holding on to stuff, you know, and it's a, you're detoxing off a of weed. And what are you holding? And it was all this woo woo answers. And I was like, that can't be right. And what after teaching, I could not find the answer. And after teaching it for a while and having sold out classes, I started to look for commonalities in the room. And what I noticed was the people who were cramped up the most in their hands were also pushing the exhale the most and breathing super fast. So I brought in this woman and she was a, a Harvard science researcher. And I said, what? This is what I think. This is my theory on this. Can we check this out? And she said, yeah, that's what's going on. When you start exhaling too much, you're throwing off too much CO2 and it's causing this tetany in your hands. So that's why I tell my students, like, if, try to focus on the inhale and let go on the exhale. Don't push the exhale. And you'll still have an incredible experience, but we don't need to throw off all that CO2 and tweak ourselves out. And guess what? If at any point it gets to be too much, you can just stop, close your mouth, breathe through your nose, take a couple breaths through your nose, and you'll come back into your regular state. Like we're not in the jungle doing ayahuasca puking into a bucket, right? And I was the first teacher that I know of to start saying that to people. Like, listen, if you get if it gets to be too much, stop, close your mouth and breathe through your nose, like you're, you're in charge of your experience. And I did that because I was doing it online and I couldn't be there with people, right? So 
Now I say that in my in-person classes too. Like if it's too much for you, because some people will go all out their first time and they don't care if they get tweaked out and they're, they just have this huge experience and then they're not freaked out by it. Like, and then other people get scared and they have to back off and they have to do it a few more times before they can kind of go full out. And either right. way, it's fine. I, I just, you know, I want people to know that they're safe and they're fine. There are zero reported incidences of anything bad happening during this breath work. I've never had anything bad other than people freaking themselves out, you know, over the last decade. So it's totally safe. But, you know, people get scared. They start breathing and they start feeling this thing in their body. And they're like, I thought, what? I've been breathing my whole life. And I had no idea that I could feel all this weird shit in my body just by breathing. And they get freaked out. They get scared. Nobody's scared of going to the gym at this point, right? I worked in the gym for 20 years. I saw somebody get hurt every day in the gym. Every day I saw somebody get hurt, like bad. And nobody's scared of going to the gym. And in a decade, I've never seen anybody get hurt from breathwork, but people are 10 times more terrified than breathwork than they are gym or yoga. Same thing. Yeah. How do you move past that resistance? I definitely, and I'll be very transparent. I had some resistance just going into it, you know, kind of getting reacquainted with the feelings that do come up. So I mm -hmm. slowed down at times and I just said to myself, there's no perfect way to do this. Like, just do it the way you need to do it. How do you move past the resistance of a few things? Number one, what you feel physically. Because if you haven't felt it before, you might be tripping yourself out. And I mean, I definitely get that. Number two, what comes up emotionally, right? I've done breath work in the past where I've started to cry or whatever the case is. And I feel like we resist that. How do you move past that resistance and actually let go? It's a great question, Matt. How do you move past the resistance of not wanting to go to the gym? By going, by doing. Yeah. I mean, that's it. You just have to force yourself to do it. Your brain's never going to, your brain doesn't give a shit about your happiness. You have to override that. Right. And it's really kind of the first 10 minutes, 12 minutes of the breath work, just like going to the gym, the first like the warm up or getting getting there. Your brain is like, I don't want to go today. It starts trying to make excuses and talk you out of going. It's yeah. the same experience. We have to override our brains. There's this, you know, and I talk about this in the classes is part of our brain that like is the ego and can shut down in breath work. Sometimes it's called transient hypofrontality, where it shuts off that ego that tells us we're not enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not pretty enough. Right. I'm not hairy enough in some way. I'm not enough. So that shuts down in breath work, but it doesn't do it in the beginning. In the beginning, in the first 10, 15 minutes of breath work, it's fighting you. It's like, mm. this is weird. I don't like it. This isn't for me. I don't want to be here. This is stupid. I can't believe I'm, I feel dizzy. I'm going to pass out. Oh my God. I feel nauseous. My throat's dry. It like gives you all, it just talks mad trash to you to do everything it can to get you to stop because it doesn't want you to shut down that part of your brain. It doesn't want you to do it. And it's, it's intense. And some people actually, their brain is so strong that their operating system in their head is so strong, they can't do it. They literally can't. Like their brain is taking over control. Mm. And it's kind of a bummer because those are the same people that have massive anxiety because they're listening to the story in their head. They're tripping out about the future so hard that they're giving themselves all this anxiety. And so their brain has like gotten so overactive, so out of control that they need to turn that off and shift into their heart and shift into this moment and this breath here where everything is fine. And so you have to just force yourself to do it. The way I did it for the first five years was I'd be like, shut up, John Paul. My head would be like, I don't like it. I don't want to do it today. Nothing's going to happen. Shut up, John Paul. Shut up and breathe. And I just had to just keep telling myself to shut up and do it. And that worked for me. But, you know, the results are there. You know, if you want the results, they're there for you. You have to override it. That was the first part of your question. The second part was the emotional part, right? right? And so emotions, for example, crying 
is really good for us. Crying releases chemicals in our body that strengthen the immune system. It completes the stress cycle in our body. We're supposed to cry. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. It's a necessary function of our bodies as humans. And I've had people come up to me after my class and be like, oh my God, that's the first time I've cried in four years. I'm like, four years? You're going to explode. You're going to give yourself a terrible sickness. You know, like that's like saying I haven't gone to the bathroom in four years. Like this stuff is built up inside of us and we need a good cry. You don't have to cry. It's not a requirement in my class, but it's actually really good for you. And a lot of us didn't get permission to cry growing up, or we have some negative story around crying. Like if I cry, I'm weak, or if I cry, it's bad. And it's not. It's always been a sign that you're alive since birth. Like mm. it's necessary for you. It's good for you. And that's why for some people, the online class is better. You know, come to online, turn your camera off, lay there, cry your ass out. Nobody needs to know. You know, when I first started doing breath work, I was having these massive experiences and like just years of trauma was leaving me and I was just crying like a little girl with a skin knee on my floor in the fetal position. And then I would go to work and I would feel happy and present and with gratitude and love. And my clients were like, dude, what's going on with you? Medicated? What did are you, did you relapse? Like what's going on? You're a different person. And I'm like, I'm doing this. I was embarrassed. I'm like, I'm doing this weird breathing thing. And they're like, what is it? And I told them and they're like, I want to try that. And so I didn't even want to teach it. I was embarrassed about it. And, but I started teaching it and doing it with my clients and I saw them having massive results. And I was like, wow, I guess this works on everybody or most people. Right. And so, you know, it works if you do it, but like, it's hard, it's uncomfortable. There's some work in the breath work. Most things in this life that are beneficial to us, that will shift our lives, that will help us require effort and that require us to get out of our comfort zone. The gym is not comfortable for most people. Most people hate the gym. You know, ice baths are a nightmare. Cold showers are horrible, but you feel amazing afterwards, right? Like almost everything out there requires you to be uncomfortable, requires effort. And then it makes your life better. So it's up to you. If you do what's easy all the time, life gets hard. And that sucks. And if you do yeah. what's hard, life gets easier. So choose your hard. Which one do you want? Absolutely. I love this. I'm curious, were you ever shamed for crying? I, I remember the first time or second time I ever was. And it's funny, it was while playing basketball. I took a charge on defense. And I'll, I'll never forget, I started to tear up because I did something good. And my teammate looked at me and he said, don't cry. And I was like, fuck. You know, and I, that's still stuck with me. That That's back in fourth grade. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I'm curious, like, were you ever shamed for crying? It's almost like I can't remember a lot of my childhood. I think there is some things I blocked out there, you know, but that's where all that stuff starts. That's where it all happens, right? Somebody yeah. poked you in the belly and says, you got a big belly. And we start holding in our abs and we stop breathing into our belly, into our diaphragm, right? Yeah. Somebody says, oh, you're a crybaby. You're a little wimp. You're a baby. I'm sure I was with my brother and my father. I'm absolutely a thousand percent. You know, and I just grew up in, you know, the South Shore of Boston. I grew up in a town called Pembroke, Massachusetts, a little town. It's the fifth most Irish town in America, surrounded by the 13 most Irish towns in America. That's called the Irish Riviera. So everybody was like, you know, Irish and beating the shit out of each other and had 10 brothers <laughs> and sisters and got drunk and got in fights, you know, and alcohol was the solution to your to everything, really. But like, if I had an emotion, if I started to get vulnerable or emotional, I would do a shot and punch somebody in the face and it would go away. So that was my solution for a long time until that stopped working for me. You know, I just remember being very sensitive as a kid, being very emotional, that not being well received everywhere in my life. And um, yeah. 
And the irony in that is now I allow myself to be sensitive. I allow myself to be vulnerable in my classes, especially. And what happens is I open myself up and I get a little vulnerable or a lot vulnerable in my class. And I start to tear up or get, you can hear it in my voice. And that allows other people to get emotional in my class as well. And to kind of gives them permission to get emotional because what comes from the heart goes to the heart. So if I open up my heart in my class and I get vulnerable, maybe you can open up your heart too, and you can get vulnerable too. And it Absolutely. helps. Kind of like, and I'm a guy guy. Like I, you know, I'll kick your ass if I have to. I've been doing Brazilian <laughs> jiu-jitsu for 15 years. I've been doing every martial art before that, boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai. Like if somebody threatens my family, you know, you're, it's a bad idea. So I'm still, a, I'm still a tough guy. I can still whoop an ass. But at the same time, I have no problem getting vulnerable and showing my feelings now. And yeah. I'm comfortable in my skin with that today. I'm comfortable with who I am today. And I wasn't most of my life. And so it's taken me a lot of work to get here. And I don't give a shit what other people think about me. It's not other people's opinions of me are none of my business. I cannot mm. really be true to myself, true to my heart and be who I really am and worry about what people think about. I have to decide. Can't be both. You can't be for everybody and be for yourself at the same time. You got to choose. Absolutely. I love this. What's a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it? Wow. I guess I would, I would want people to ask me like, what are you excited about today? What's your, what's your best ways to like, you know, take care of yourself? What does know. excite you? Well, I know, I know your work excites you. Obviously we had that conversation earlier. Me. You yeah. know, my kids, I'm excited about my kids, raising my kids. I never wanted to be a, do a dad. I never wanted a family. And I changed my mind on that. Something happened in one of those Tony seminars that shifted me. And now I have kids mm. that I love and that's beautiful. I'm excited about what comes next and about just what's happening right now. Like I'm doing a training in a week in Denver and I, I'm excited to go into that room with those people for four days and watch them shift in front of me. I watch them come in one way and I watch them leave another way. And yeah. that like that excites me, you know, setting up retreats excites me like with the possibility of that, all the things that I get to do. I'm, you know, I just normal day too, like going to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu today and you're going to go choke somebody and that's going to feel good or I'm going to get choked. <laughs> and I have a float tank in my house. I have a sensory That's the best. Yeah. That's the only thing that for me is not hard that has massive results. That is, is the, the best. Tank. How long are you in there? Are you doing an hour? Are you doing longer? It's a great question. I'm in there anywhere from a half an hour to an hour and 15. I never know how long it's going to be. Like I did an hour and 15 yesterday and I thought it was 30 minutes. The other day I did 30 minutes and I thought it was an hour. You have no sense of time in there. Yeah. And, you know, fortunately, I have a life where I can do that. I can like go, OK, it's three o'clock. I'm shutting it down. I'm going into my tank. And this is like my time to just let go. And I go into my tank and I do some of these affirmations when I get in there. And that helps to sort of decompress everything while my senses are turning off. And then I disappear and I go into this theta brainwave state. And when I come out, I'm a better human mentally, spiritually, emotionally. But people are like, you have a float tank in your house. That's crazy. They like go, they can't believe it, right? And I go, well, you have a hot tub. This is cheaper than a hot tub. And I go in it 10 times more than I would a hot tub. I had a hot tub, right? And it yields much bigger results than a hot tub, than a, you know, a jacuzzi. So why is it so shocking? Why is it so surprising, right? So- yeah, some it's, people don't like incredible. it. They're like, I'm claustrophobic in there. And I'm like, no, it's expansive. It's not constrictive. But yeah. that's me. I do all this weird shit because it's what makes me feel good. Like I have I have the float tank. I have a sauna. I do the cold 
plunge. I do the cold shower. I do the breath work. I do it all. And it all works. If I do it, you know, I go to jujitsu and I get my ass whooped by a bunch of black belts. Whatever I got to do to feel good is whatever I got to do to feel good. I love that. I absolutely love it. I've loved this conversation too. I want to give a moment. Where are you hanging out the most on uh, on social? Is it Instagram? I just want to make sure that we're getting people connected. I'm going to have socials, websites, where people can check you out in the show notes of this. But if someone wants to connect with you on social, where are you hanging out the most? So um, I probably have the most... I probably spend the most time on Instagram. I post there the most. You know, I'm on Facebook too. I'm on TikTok. I'm starting to do TikTok. You know, I'm like, I've given up. I got it. I get it's all part of the thing that we have to do because I want people to find me. I want people to come do my class online, you know, and just experience this or come do my class in person or my training. So social media is how people find you now. So I'm, I'm on pretty much, I'm never on LinkedIn. I have a LinkedIn, I'm not LinkedIn, I'm sorry. I am on LinkedIn, LinkedIn's great. I meant uh, Twitter. I'm not really on Twitter. I have a Twitter account, but I'm not really on there. And my website is Breathe with JP. Don't forget the E, so B-R-E-A-T-H-E with JP. That's my main website. And then I have another website with the online courses, breathworkteachertraining.com. So I have a bunch of online courses that you can do in your own time at your own pace. But my main website, if you wanna do the online class, the Zoom class or an in-person or whatever is Breathe with JP. And you can email me at breathewithjp at gmail.com too. I love that. I absolutely love this. I'm going to ask you one last question. This is something that I've been asking and I've had incredible responses. I'm really excited to hear yours. If John Paul lives to whatever year he wants to live, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever that is for you, you impact as many lives, you do as many seminars, you teach breath work to as many people as you want. But at the end of the day, comes to your last day, you could only be remembered for one piece of advice. This is the piece of advice that's going to be attached to your name for eternity. What piece of advice is that? That you're going to make mistakes. No matter how hard you work on yourself, no matter how much you do, you're still going to make some mistakes. Mm. And if you can learn to just love yourself a little bit more through those mistakes, that's going to change everything for you. I love that. Why is that your piece of advice? Because I think that people think they do, once I do this work or once I get here, or once I make this much money or once I have this career, this, these things, these goals, these dreams, once I get them, I'm going to be happy and I'm not going to screw up. And that's just not the case. Mm. You're, you're not always going to be happy and you're going to screw up. You're still going to make mistakes and you're still going to feel badly sometimes. But the shift, the difference that you can make is if, go, oh, I made a mistake. Let me not beat myself up on this mistake today. Let me just go like I'm human. Let me love myself through my mistakes. And that will shift everything for you. Because if people treated me the way I treat myself for a long time, I would go to their house and kick their ass, right? Mm -hmm. So right. why am I being so hard on myself? I don't want my children to be that hard on themselves. I don't want my kids that I love more than anything in this world to treat themselves as harshly as I treat myself. So I have to model that for them. I have to show them that like, oh, I made a mistake. Let me it's just human. It's just a, it's the human condition. We're making mistakes all the time. We're going to continue to make mistakes. Can I just love myself anyways through the mistakes? Can I just not be hard on myself for today's mistake? I love that. JP, I appreciate this, man. This was absolutely incredible. Thank you for opening up, sharing your work, sharing your insights, your knowledge, all of that. Just expressing gratitude one last time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. You have just tuned into the Decoding Success podcast featuring our friend John Paul Crimi. You could check him out in the show notes of this episode where you're going to be able to find all of his work, socials, websites, and all of that good stuff. Make sure you are sharing this episode. And until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.